Welcome to My Name is Not Steve, the podcast by storytellers about storytelling with people not named Steve. Hey, this is Pete Bauer. And I am Dorothea Bauer. Welcome to My Name is Not Steve. We are not named Steve. That's right. We are storytellers that like to talk about storytelling. And we really feel the need to clarify that, as well as our names in every episode, which I think is fantastic. (laughs) That's called an opening, Dorothea. An opening? Yes. You can look it up. Well, all I'm saying is that there's a show I watch where they do this intro monologue every episode, Uh and it's in the middle of its first season, and I'm just like, okay, I don't care who you are and what happened to you. I've heard this monologue 17 times. Here's the deal. I don't think people are going to binge listen to our podcast, so I think we're okay. Well, that's unfortunate. (laughs) Actually, it's probably very fortunate. I don't think we would do well in large quantities. (laughs) (laughs) Just ask our family. All right, so Dorothea... What's going on today? What are we focusing on? Today we are talking about prequels. Prequels. Yes. The problem with prequels. But before we do that, what are we going to talk about? Neil and Prang? Yep. Excellent. So go ahead, give us an update. Well, last time we said the book was done. And it still is. Yes, that is still true. Update over. So we created the files for the paperback and the ebooks, and they are ready to go. We're just setting up the account. We are working on our pre-marketing plan. At least someone should be. I am working on it. Gosh, you're so mean to me. (laughs) I'm doing this by myself. I just graduated from college, and you're creating a new genre, which is really frustrating. (laughs) Again, I said this episodes ago that my job is to create impossibly difficult (laughs) storylines, and your job is to market them. The main lesson that I learned when I was in college was that You have to find your audience and communicate with them. And it's really as simple as that. The hard part with our situation is that our audience doesn't know they actually want this and they don't know to look for it (laughs) because the genre does not exist. It's kind of like we're trying to sell pet rocks, right? You don't know you want this pet rock, but you really do. In your yard, (laughs) underneath dirt. Because you can find them there, but you don't want those. But you don't want those. You want the shiny ones that we painted. We did that a lot in Girl Scouts. Did you really? Yeah. I was actually going through some of my old college stuff the other day. Just This is the first big project I've had since I was in college. And college, everything is hypothetical. So if you think you're smart when you graduate, you're not. Mm -mm. And most of it is like, well, when you enter an agency, this is how you work your way up. And I'm like, none of this is helpful to me at all. Well, that was money well spent. I know. I'm so glad I'm in debilitating debt. (laughs) (laughs) That's the other thing they don't teach you in college is how to manage your debt. I think I'm managing my debt pretty well. No, you are. I'm just saying. Thank you very much. You're welcome. Um, I'm I'm just saying (laughs) they don't really train you in that. They don't really want to talk about all the debt that they're creating for you on your behalf. Yeah. Well, because, you know, it's the experience that matters. That's right. That's right. So anyway, the book is done. We're just doing our pre-marketing work in preparation for the launch. And again, we're scheduled to do that April 20th. That's our goal date. Honestly, with Kindle, you kind of put things up around then. And then Kindle kind of decides or Amazon kind of decides when they're going to make that available. The goal is April 20th, but we're not sure for sure. But, you know, if we have any budding authors listening to this podcast, we have another friend of ours who is also embarking on the fantastic journey of self-publishing her book. And I wouldn't be surprised if she is an overnight success with her book. I'm certain of it. But the thing about it is, is that she's been doing work on this story and with her fan base and with her audience for about seven years, I would guess. 
So I think it's going to take us a little bit longer, but that's what you have to think about. If I'm you're... thinking just like another week. <laughs> <laughs> She's been doing it for seven years, but yeah. you know. Yeah. I think um, if you just give us seven days, that's how much we're awesome. But she created a presence for herself online. She's been writing online and building up a fan base and working with her fans. And her fans give her feedback on her stories. And Yeah, I mean, she's been giving them, you know, samples of her stories and things like that. I mean, it's I don't even know if she did it on purpose, but she's done so many things right in preparation for independent publishing. And now that she's kind of chosen to do that, I mean, she couldn't be set up any better. Yeah, I think I think it's going to be great. I'm so glad she decided to self-publish because she's going to make so much more money that way. Yeah, yeah, I'm very excited about that. Although it's going to be kind of funny because she asked me to resend her the link to this podcast because she lost it. Oh, and um, <laughs> there it goes we're down to two. <laughs> the first, <laughs> the first episode she's going to listen to is going to be us talking about her. Yeah, that won't make it awkward at the office. No, I don't think so. No. Now, one She's of the cool chill. things that we do at the office is we do have a writer's group. There's actually four of us. There is. That we know well, of. technically three. I just <laughs> tag along. You're, you're a theoretical <laughs> writer. You're a hypothetical writer. I'm not a hypothetical writer. I'm not a writer. <laughs> you, <laughs> <laughs> but you, so there's you that. You do write. You're so good. You're, you're one of the best writers I've ever read. So you just need the discipline to actually finish a story. Well, Dad... I hate to break it to you, but You're Gabby do- Wells has kind of taken over my <laughs> life for the past seven years. <laughs> Here we go. Yeah. Throwing out the guilt. Yeah. Well, you know, it's very fun having conversations with you. We'll be talking about something else, food, movies, politics, and suddenly we're talking about Gabby Wells. Well, I'm just you- saying. <laughs> You're really good about not talking about Gabby Wells when we're talking about Gabby Wells. So there's that. Everything I say relates back, though. <laughs> it does. We'll be talking about like cover design, and you'll be like, oh, that reminds me. So I was walking down the road, and there was a puppy. And I'm like, what? What are we talking about? I do not talk about puppies. <laughs> like as a rule? As a rule. Yeah. Well, enough about puppies and the lack thereof. Let's talk about the problems with prequels, Dorothea. All right. This is kind of your pet peeve, so mm. I'm going to let you take the reins on this one. Well, I mean, that's not only my pet peeve. You have you have your own peeveness ready and... <laughs> Willing and able. <laughs> oh, so before we do that, though, um, so we've been listening to, uh, on the way to work, listen to this audio Bible. And as oh, part, my word. As part of Lent. And I will say, before the Ten Commandments, mm, a lot of bad decisions going on there. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, there's a pretty decent section of Genesis where Jacob's just impregnating people. <laughs> yeah. So, <laughs> I mean, you have you have like incest multiple times. You have um, concubines and and just yeah. I mean, these guys just sleeping with anything that moves and great nations out of them. I guess. Yeah, I actually emailed you a meme the other day that had Jackie Chan with his hands in the air, and it said, "What is happening?" <laughs> And I was like, this is my reaction to listening to the Bible. That's happened to both of us on our drive to work because we'll be like, what? What is happening? And seriously, they say hindsight is 2020. And it really is because I will hear these stories in the Bible and just go, if you people would just listen to the Lord, none of these problems would exist right now. Yeah, deceit and lying by by important people happened. What? My favorite is how... (laughs) God's like, Sarah, you're going to have a kid. And she's like, yeah, that's ridiculous. Honey, sleep with my servant. <laughs> that didn't end and very well. And like, well, all right. <laughs> I guess, honey. No, the missus is making me. 
So um, we did, through this process, come up with a new favorite phrase. We did, but it's based on a joke, so you have to kind of clarify. Well, no, the, the joke is from Brian Regan, and he talks about how lazy the use of, and one thing led to another. Like, he uses the joke of, you know, reading a story that says Hitler was rejected from an art school, and one thing led to another, and the United States dropped an atomic bomb on the sovereign nation of Japan. And he's like, what? <laughs> what? So in the Bible, we have heard a lot of... It came to pass. And it came to pass, yeah. And it came to pass that everyone was sleeping with everyone. <laughs> Regardless of their relationship to each other. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, goodness. Yeah. It's a, it's an eye-opening experience. I'd read these before, but, you know, I don't know if you block that stuff out or something, but this time through, it's just been like, wow. I just think when you're reading the Bible versus listening to it, and we're also listening to a theatrical, dramatic version of the Bible. Yeah. But when you're reading the Bible, you can kind of dismiss things because you dismiss yeah. things when you're reading all the time. So you go, well, that's weird, but whatever. And you keep going to get to the point. But when you're just listening to these <laughs> stories, you can't do that. You're forced to digest. You're forced story. to listen. Yeah. So that's been interesting. Yeah. All right. So um, prequels. Tangent. Well, that was like a prequel to the New Testament. So that kind of works. <laughs> um, prequels. The problem with prequels is they exist before a story we already know the ending of. That is true. Right. But there are ways to present information that occurs prior to a story you know in a way that's successful, and then there's a way to do it in a very unsuccessful way. I'll go back to my favorite prequel movie. Um, mm, what is that? It's probably called The Hobbit. Are you sure? I think so. I don't think that's true. Yeah, it is. No. So I had watched the Lord of the Rings movies, and I enjoyed them quite a bit, although I thought some of the things were long, but everyone said, well, it's in the book. And I'm like, well. Eh, this is a movie anyway so i think quite a bit is a bit of an exaggeration for you i don't think you enjoyed the lord of the rings quite no, I, a bit i, I think you enjoyed them with kind of like an ellipsis at the end dot 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 uh, nope i enjoyed them quite a bit <laughs> you people are seeing a different side <laughs> you don't know what he's like at home uh, i'm very kind and loving and what? i love puppies so the problem specifically with that is well there are two actually one is your pet peeve and one is mine the first is is that was a short story a well a shorter story that was expanded into three movies which you love i love it i love movies that are divided into parts just so much yeah. just for money it's fantastic yeah like the hunger games <sighs> <laughs> So the problem with The Hobbit is that you have some main characters in there that we know from the Lord of the Rings trilogy survive and are fine and whatnot. Or aren't supposed to be in the movie at all, <laughs> a la Legolas. Right, Legolas was a creative choice, apparently, because they needed to make a small story three movies. And they had to add some fluff. And I think actually that was based also on just audience expectations. You know, they like that character. And they needed action. So they have these, like, I don't know, the seven dwarfs. No, that's a different story. <laughs> so you have these dwarfs, and you have Bilbo, the hobbit, and you have Gandalf. And so the problem is, is that they go through all these trials and tribulations, and you know that Gandalf survives, and you know that Bilbo survives. So it's really difficult to watch that and ever feel like they're in danger. On top of that, it goes back to what we talked about last time which is almost all the enemies are computer generated. So not only am I lacking a visceral sense of danger, but I also 
have the knowledge that they never get hurt. <laughs> so that's a problem when you have an action sequence where your main characters are in peril. So I just kind of sat there and went, yep, I know you guys make it, so let's move along. You must really love Tom Cruise movies because he puts himself in danger constantly. Yeah, like literally. He's, like literally. Yeah. He has a truck run over him in <laughs> one of his movies. <laughs> And actually, the director of that movie, it's Mission Impossible 3. And J.J. Abrams, who directed the movie, just kept saying, I wasn't really worried about Tom Cruise, because if something happened to him, he was dead. But I was worried about the truck driver, because who wants to be the guy who kills Tom Cruise? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Tom Cruise is a bit of a thrill seeker. He does as many of his own stunts as possible. But anyway, so the, the problem with prequels is that you have knowledge of the end story, and, and especially the problem for me with The Hobbit, and the reason it's one of my pet peeves, is that it was a quest. So you know, because you know the second stories, the Lord of the Rings stories, you know they get from A to B, and they spread that A to B over three stories. And so you're just kind of waiting for them to get there. And it, it was just really frustrating. Plus, in the middle movie, for example, they have all these dangerous events. And I kept waiting for anyone that I cared about to die. Just to add, you know, risk and danger and potential future danger to the story that, that I'm watching. And no one died. This whole movie, it's the middle of them getting from A to B. And they encounter all these fake villains. And the characters that, I, that are the main characters I know survive and the characters that I don't know all survive. I was like, oh, well, then why am I here? That's what I kept thinking about. Why People aren't here? dying. Why am I watching this movie? <laughs> right. <laughs> Well, You're coming off really good here, Dad. <laughs> no, I mean, there has to be drama, <laughs> conflict, risk. Death. Otherwise, it's just it's just like a show that should be on, on the travel channel, right? <laughs> We're just going to go from A to B. and <laughs> Let's walk across these green screen mountains. Yeah, look. Ooh, fake spiders. And it was just <laughs> so frustrating. I can't tell that you dislike that movie at all. I think you hide it really well. All right. Well, let's talk about a movie that I know you love. Hmm. And that's the prequel of Star oh, Wars. Gosh. What do you call them again? I forget. I call them unfortunate fan films. <laughs> <laughs> From the guy that happens to be the creator. George Lucas made fan films of his own work. That's what those <laughs> that's what the prequel trilogy is. <laughs> and like any other fan film, some of it sucks. It's Here, really awful. Here's what I don't understand about the Phantom Menace. Oh, well, there, everything, oh. the plots, <laughs> the characters. All right, there's a couple things. The uh, acting choices, uh, yes. the so, casting choices. All right, let's slow down. <laughs> let's, let's reel this in a bit. The so, script. <laughs> I will say the effects were amazing. Yeah. <laughs> all right, let's go through it a little bit. A couple of bad choices, and, and I mean this sincerely. We could mock this. Everyone has. But but let's go through some of these choices that are that are bad choices. First off is that when you're going to kick off Star Wars again, you have access to every actor on the planet. Which is perfectly evidenced by the massively long audition lines for the newest Star Wars movie. When they were casting that, they went around blocks, people sent in videos online. It was really, really impressive. Right. So I just don't know how they picked that kid that can't act. The worst child actor. Well, I don't want to say that. I mean, that's not fair to him, but he did the best he could. But why the hell pick him? But that's the thing is I don't blame the child. I do think he did the best he could, but they picked an awful child actor. Yeah. Yeah, they did. And there's so much wrong with these movies. Let's expand into the rest of prequeldom in Star Wars. He's a child and Natalie Portman plays Padme and Queen Amidala, who is a teenager slash adult. Can you feel the sparks? 
It's wrong. It's wrong on so many levels. This is so disgusting. Here's another problem. No wonder he ends up a bad guy. (laughs) The comic relief, you couldn't understand the punchlines. That's the bad thing when Jar Jar Banks is the comic relief and you don't understand what he's saying. You just kind of go, and scene. (laughs) Let's just go to the next scene, please. And next. I've actually seen people on YouTube make videos with Star Trek effects of Jar Jar Binks dying in various ways. (laughs) Here's another thing that really ticked me off, and it goes back to kind of what we were saying before about the element of danger. So Liam Neeson is... Qui-Gon Jinn. Okay. I think. And he's the mentor of Ewan McGregor. Obi-Wan Kenobi. Right. So they're in this underwater craft with their comedic relief saying stuff no one understands. (laughs) And they're going through, and the whole time, you know, young Ben Kenobi's going, oh my gosh, we're going to die here, there, or here. And every single time, Liam Neeson goes, now nah, we're fine. And I'm like, well, if we're fine, why are we here? Let's just get to the end right there under there. And they're like, oh, big fish, we're going to die. He's like, no, we'll be fine. Well, then I guess we'll wait. Ewan McGregor is by far the best part of the prequel series. Yes. But Liam Neeson wasn't bad. He wasn't bad, but his, the way his it was character written, was awful. The way it was written is he undermined every sense of danger. You can be confident and feel like you can overcome anything. But from a writing perspective, you never say, hey, listen, you know this dangerous thing I've just set up for you? Don't worry about it. Just wait till it's over. And you're like, oh. And the other thing that he did, which is really awful. I mean, I know it was a choice. I saw the behind the scenes stuff. Liam Neeson or George Lucas? George Lucas, sorry. Is that he chose to mirror the original trilogy to the prequels by repeating things. And to me, that's like the worst choice. So, for example... And the first Star Wars, Obi-Wan dies. In the first Phantom, Liam Neeson dies. In the pod chase, it's just like the speeders getting caught together in Jedi. And I remember watching this going, really? You've created this amazing universe and you're using the same things? Like, I understood it was a choice, but it was a horrendous choice because in prequel land, I don't want to see what I've already seen. I want to see something I've never seen. Which, by the way, is something someone directing a fan film would do. Yes. I'm just saying. Yes, they would do an homage. So George Lucas did an homage to himself. Unfortunate fan film style. There's something wrong with that cinematically. There's actually a really good Star Wars fan film that I've seen called Pink Five. Yeah, that, it's really old, but it's hilarious. It's really old, but it's fi- it's very funny. I don't know if it's still available anymore online. Yeah, I don't know. It used to be on YouTube, but if you can find it, they made two of them and they were really funny. They were. It was kind of like a girl in an alternate, lived in the same universe, but it was a character you'd never heard of before. Yeah. She's very funny. Well, you have like Red 7, check in Red 7, and she's Pink (laughs) 5. And she's kind of like girly. Yeah. So one of the other things that really irritated me, and again, there's a lot to irritate us about these prequels in Star Wars, but was the choice, and this was a choice, again, a bad one, to make the main character whiny. I don't really think of danger when I hear people whining, Mm. which is something you would want to affiliate with. Well, I I do. I I sense the danger that I (laughs) want to beat them. Senseless. (laughs) That's like the only danger was my own anger. Dad, if you do anything to hurt Anakin, he's just going to commit genocide. (laughs) That's true. And then you're supposed to sympathize with him. Yeah. Oh, babe, let me hold you. No. (laughs) No. Now, here's the thing I've always proposed. Like the worst in the second movie, the way they introduced Anakin, future Darth Vader, No, you you get past the first one, right? Okay, he's a young boy. You ignore the first one. Let's clarify. (laughs) You you work it through. You muscle it down, right? And 
So the um, the second one, the first time you introduce with little teen Anakin, is the most uninspired character introduction that I've ever seen. And we've talked about this a lot in previous podcasts and whatever, but one of the most important things you can do in a story is to introduce your main character in a really exciting way. The, the most obvious example of this is in Raiders of the Lost Ark. So that's an awesome way to introduce Indiana Jones. How many <clears throat> times have you seen Raiders of the Lost Ark? Um, just a few. I think it was 700. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, actually. There was one summer where it was playing at a dollar movie theater at Gateway Mall, and I used to ride my bike to Gateway Mall. Um, Gateway Mall doesn't exist anymore. But anyway, I went there, and every time I'd find four quarters, I'd ride my bike up there. So I think that summer it played all summer, and I think I saw it like 50, 60 times that summer. (laughs) I just remember it was on TV the other day, and you started saying the lines Uh with the characters. It's not even... It's not even surprising. Like, it's almost not even enjoyable. I've seen it too much. But anyway, that's a great way to introduce the character. So the way that that George Lucas decided to introduce young teen Anakin is to show him whining to Ben Kenobi in an elevator. Ooh. I mean, it really does introduce his character, though. I know, but I mean, like, Darth Vader, (laughs) right? Ominous. No. So here's my proposal. But the way that they introduced his character is exactly how his character played out. No, right. And that's exactly what's wrong with it. So so here's my proposal. I was thinking of the whole Leonardo DiCaprio Titanic thing, right? You want the teen girls to swoon over this bad boy, right? Great opportunity. You have a teen bad boy. So my theory was this. Instead of introducing Anakin that way, you start a little before then and you have Ben Kenobi go down to a training room where young Anakin is working out. And Ben Kenobi gets outside the door and all you hear is this mayhem going on. Like just Anakin is slaughtering everything. And you open up the door and it's dark and you see these like robots. You see Anakin's lightsaber hacking everything to death. And then, you know, Kenobi says Anakin and he stops and the lightsaber, you know, goes down. And you see this figure approach and he's sweaty and hunky and shirtless and muscular. Now, every girl would go, holy crap. Right? I always find it funny when you use the word hunky. <laughs> I know. It's a very 80s term. But the point is, is that that would have been a great way to introduce you you'd understand that he's got aggression issues. He's hacking to pieces, these robot dudes. He's young. He's dangerous. He's sexy. And then you put him in the elevator, right? That would be awesome. And then he whines. Come on. Yeah. And then he whines. And you're like, well, I don't care because I'm already swooning over him. Although that is a really good point, because Anakin was just as whiny in the third movie as he was in the second movie, but he was in really good shape in the third movie, and I was a teenage girl, so I was like, I don't care, put him on screen. Case closed. I'm right. Yet again. (laughs) Hollywood would just call me. I could solve so many other problems. That's another problem with prequels, is especially with, you know, these are iconic characters, so you want to introduce those characters as effectively as possible. We already know the end, right? So why not take Anakin's character and more obviously show the Darth Vader side of him as opposed to a a bad acting kid and then a whiny teenager? It's just, it was so, so misused. One good thing that came out of the prequels was the amazing score by John Williams. Yes. We recently had the wonderful and amazing and lovely and just utterly fantastic opportunity to hear his music played by the Florida Orchestra. Coolest night ever. It was amazing. And the conductor for the evening gave a little speech before each song he played. And there's one song that I never really appreciated in Star Wars called Anakin's Theme. Mm -hmm. And he said that when John Williams was 
composing the prequels, he had to pre-compose himself right. as an artist. He did a better job than George Lucas. He did. <laughs> and one of the things he did with Anakin's theme was that he alternated between light and dark. Hopeful and sadness. It was amazing how sometimes the song would grow and it would be light and wonderful. And you're like, hey, maybe this guy's going to make it out of here on the on the right side after all. And then it ends on this very dark, ominous note that mimics the Empire's theme in the later movies. So it was just phenomenal how yeah. he did that. Yeah, because at the end, it was kind of like the music was like a resignation of Anakin's fate. It was really cool. Now, I'm pretty sure that you and I had the most fun out of everyone at that concert. I think that's true, too. Yeah. My cousin kept laughing at me. She looked over at me, and I've got this smile from ear to ear listening to John Williams' music, and she just burst into laughter. The reason is is that so loving movies as much as we have and watching them and seeing all the behind-the-scenes stuff, one of the things that we said like right before we found out about this concert, which thank you to my nephew Michael for letting us know, Woo-hoo. is that we've always said one of the coolest things would be to go to a soundstage when they're recording the score and actually listen to it live. That would be amazing. So the idea that we could go and listen to the live playing of every movie that I grew up with. I mean, it was like Raiders and and Superman and Star Wars. And the best part, though, was we looked at the schedule for the songs and Raiders of the Lost Ark was not on there. And I was depressed. I'm like, how can you not include Indiana Jones in a John Williams concert? That's just sinful. Crime. So the concert ended and we were clapping and we were like, well, that was that was fun. I really wish there was Indiana Jones, but that's okay. And then, of course, the conductor comes back on and he's like, all right. So when we do an encore, he's like, there are so many songs from John Williams that I could choose. He's like, and I just wish there was a sign. And right on cue, someone tosses him the hat and he puts it on his head and starts playing the music. And I think I literally shouted, yeah, (laughs) which is weird, (laughs) which is weird at an orchestra. (laughs) You know, it was awesome. And this goes to show that in spite of George Lucas's own fan films, how Star Wars has permeated like every aspect of society is there were these little kids behind us, a family, and they had these two little kids and one of them was like five. And they're playing the Imperial March, you know, yeah, it was awesome. And the little kid is behind us humming it. And I'm like, oh my gosh, this kid is has barely consumed any entertainment, and they already know that by heart. It was amazing. It was amazing. Overall, though, the concert was, especially for you and I, was check it off my bucket list kind of thing. It was fantastic. Yeah. So, again, thank you, Michael. So there have been some bad prequels, but there have also been some good prequels. The hard thing with prequels, again, is that you have to come from it at a different angle. I think there's two ways that you can do this. If you look at um, for example, I really enjoy the show Gotham. The reason that works is that it's much darker and different than the Batman movies with Christopher Nolan and Christian Bale. You could see that they live in the same kind of universe, but I'm not a comic book guy, but I understand that the Gotham TV series is based on a series of comic books. So there's all of these origin stories of, of all these main characters. And it's so cool from the very beginning to see these characters interacting prior to their criminal life. So you have the Penguin, you have the Riddler, Catwoman, Batman, the Joker, all these different characters before they're who we know they end up being. And it's just fascinating to me to see the story unfold. But it works because it's not trying to just tell the story before the movies you're familiar with. It's creating an entirely different universe. The only other way that this kind of really works, and it's 
Well, I mean, Terminator Genesis is a good example. There's a new movie, Terminator Genesis, coming out. And it's kind of like the Star Trek reboot idea, which is if you just alter time at the beginning of the story, then everything else can be different. And so you can exist in that universe, but have a completely different experience. And that unshackles you from all the stuff that we already know in either the Star Trek universe or the Terminator universe. So both of them have these time-altering moments where suddenly all the stuff that we knew... We know it's the same universe, but all the stuff we knew doesn't count anymore. And that can actually make it work, even though technically Star Trek is not a prequel, but it it makes the point. I agree. Basically, with stories, whether they're adaptations or they're prequels or they're sequels, they have to have their own perspective. Right. And that was the problem with me with The Hobbit is that it was such a known quantity, the Lord of the Rings trilogy and that whole storyline, that to do a prequel with no surprises that just led up to that, that's kind of like saying, ooh, I hit the home run in the seventh game of the World Series and won the game. And when you see that movie, and then we're going to go back and watch the whole season that led up to that time. I was like, well, I know you hit the home run and all these strikeouts really don't interest me very much. But it's part of the story. But it's a truthful part of the story. It doesn't matter. It's just a bad, uninteresting part of the story because there's no surprises. So if the movie of your life started right now, okay, what's a prequel story that you would tell and how would you change it? Mm. Go. Well, there's a lot of moments in my life that I kind of cringe at. So there's a plethora of opportunities for creating a prequel. The the one I'd probably want to rewrite the most, and this story is going to make me sound like a horrendous person. Yeah, and I know the story you're going to tell. It's so awful. <laughs> it's so awful. It's really bad. All right. I would rewrite this. So I told you that my friend Jay and I, we worked together in college off campus at the University of Florida. Mm-hmm. And there's a big van that we used to drive to go to the University of Florida because the company we worked for was part of that structure. So we would drive back and forth. And this van had a really extended back end because it used to be a mobile training facility for nurses. So it was just a big empty van at this point. So we would drive it back and forth. And um, so one day it's raining really, really bad. Do you want to tell this story? <laughs> it's so awful. <laughs> It's raining really bad. And so Jay and I are driving through campus. And there are these two um, dorms. There are these twin towers. I forget what they're called. And there's a bus stop out front. So this girl is waiting at the bus stop with an umbrella. And she's got her bush. She's all dry and happy and nice. And I'm driving. And innocent. And innocent. And innocent. And so I'm driving. <laughs> and um, and I say, hey, Jay, watch this. Now, Now, here's my intent. My intent is to, because in front of her is a rather large puddle, and my intent is to veer towards the puddle and then veer back in time and just, you know, kind of freak Jay out. I made two minor calculation errors. (laughs) One is the size of the puddle, and the other was the depth of the puddle. So I veered towards this poor, young, dry woman (laughs) in this very large van. I veer and then I go to cut back and I don't cut back nearly in time. So I hit this puddle, this deep, deep puddle perfectly. And when I veer back, it causes a tidal wave (laughs) to approach this poor woman who is standing there with an umbrella. So I, (laughs) so awful. So I look at the rearview mirror and all I see is... She's she's holding her umbrella, and the wave hit her at the chest and soaked everything from the neck down. 
And so she's standing there looking at her soaked clothes and simply the, the umbrella holding up now only drying her hair. She sadly drops to the side like, what the hell's the point? <laughs> and just looks at me like, what the hell's wrong with you? That's so terrible. Now, Jay turned to me and was like, you're a jerk, like really loud. I was like, no, I didn't mean it. I didn't. I was just going to be a joke. And he's like, you are the biggest jerk in the history of mankind. And I had to agree with him because that was like the worst I felt so bad. Imagine being this girl. girl, You're just like waiting by the side of the road with an umbrella, and this van goes out of its way (laughs) to soak you with water. There's like years in purgatory just for that. Yeah. Yeah. I'm pretty positive. I felt so bad. So obviously, this has weighed on my soul (laughs) for 20 some odd years. That's such a terrible thing. It is. It's horrendous. I don't, there's no excuse. I have no, uh, I apologize. If you stumble across this podcast ever, just know that I'm really sorry. It wasn't my fault. Oh, no, it was definitely your no, fault. No, no, no. Uh, <laughs> Jay distracted me. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I'm going to blame it on Jay. <laughs> That's terrible. Uh, so I could, if I could. So how long was Jay upset with you? How long did he, he hold just, it over he, your head? It, was just, it wasn't too long because it was so overtly like a bad idea. And I was so like horrified at what how it turned out that he didn't really harass me too much you're so terrible it was awful i feel so you know how much how bad you feel about insulting canadians no (laughs) i'm sorry insulting canada i don't insult canadians you insult canada i it's not real gosh see all right see people are gonna think i'm a bigot i don't have anything against canada that that's what i'm shooting for that Times one billion is the weight on my soul for what I did to this young lady. Yeah, except you deserve it. <laughs> so awful. Yeah. So I wish I could go back and rewrite that. That would be nice. Like, like I don't know. Like I, I saw how big the puddle was, or it didn't even occur to me, or it That's occurred more to likely. me and I didn't do it. It's more likely you the size of the puddle didn't occur to you. <laughs> it's really what. Well, happened. you know, part of my charm is the charm? Spon- yeah spontaneous moments of genius. Okay, well, (laughs) on that note. So why don't we move on? Spoiler alert? Yeah, spoiler alert. All right. That sounds like a lot more fun. Yeah. I'd much rather listen. Than drenching innocent people on the side of the road. Yes. (laughs) I would much rather listen to this alarm than go over that story one more time. All right. Well, this week's spoiler alert has to do with... Quests. See, that ties, or survivalist Yeah, ties stories. into the whole Hobbit, you know, Lord of the Rings thing. So I was watching this really cool movie. Well, it had a really cool premise, not great execution. It was called The Darkest Hour, and it was on the Sci-Fi Channel. And it was about these aliens that come down to our planet, and they're not nice. And they're based on electricity. No one can see them, and if they touch you or their force field or whatever touches you, you turn into ash. And so all the electricity in the world goes out. And these guys, these survivors are in this one location and they find out that they have to get to a submarine um, at this one port because it's shielded. And if they're looking for survivors and anyone that can make it there before a certain time, they will take with them. So, you know, you have your danger, you have your beginning point and your end point. Now, one of the really cool things about the story, actually, was the idea. I always love, I love, love, love stories where they take something commonplace and make it scary. So that's why I have a 
you know, I like the movie The Fog, the original The Fog, because I loved it from a from a filmmaker's standpoint that it was just a smoke machine that had danger in it. Or even the movie Chucky took a child's doll and made it dangerous. So anytime you can do something like that, I think it's pretty cool because it takes common things. And then maybe the next time you look at them, you're like, ooh, that could be bad. So this idea was that anytime all the lights are out and they couldn't see, these, these creatures were invisible, but since they were electrical, anytime they walked by a light, it turned on. So they could see them coming if the street lights would turn on individually as it got closer, or they would wear lights around their uh, necks like necklaces. And if it started to glow, they knew one of them was near and they had to stop moving or hide or whatever. So that was very, very cool. I love it when they take an interesting premise and then create a, a cool solution like that. So the execution of the overall movie wasn't all that great. I mean, it was, it was above average, but it was kind of predictable. And the predictable nature is the spoiler is that whenever you have a group of people that are trying to survive something or get from quest point A to point B, there's usually a wild card character in there, (laughs) right? There's usually someone that's in there that is going to cause problems and create conflict, right? While you're trying to get from A to B. So let's say you're all out drinking with your friends and suddenly, you know, the apocalypse happens and your one friend can't handle pressure at all. He just broke up with his girlfriend and he's got a drinking problem and he's going through detox. Okay, whatever. That character is not going to stay quiet when you need him to. He's going to make bad decisions. So, spoiler alert number one is that those people always die first. In general, yeah. Yeah, because they end up doing something that puts their own life in danger. And they do it one of two ways. They either do it as an example of their stupidity, or they do it as a a moment of clarity and a moment of honorable sacrifice, where they've been a jerk this whole time, they put the team in danger numerous times, but when things happened, they went out and they held back the bad guys just long enough for you to escape. So that's the first thing. The second thing is that there's usually a love interest in these quest sort of survival stories. And like Agatha Christie's 10 Little Indians, what happens is from point A to point B, all of them die off except the love interests. So basically, if you're in a survivalist movie and you're not in love, you're basically doomed. Yeah. And if you're an a-hole, you're gone early. So the apocalypse happens, fall in love really quickly. That's that's really the key to surviving the apocalypse. Yeah, but it has to be real, sacrificial, life-changing yes. love. And you got about 10 minutes. So go. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so it'll be like, no, you don't understand how important this is to our survival. <laughs> I've heard this pickup line before. Really? That is our spoiler. Only the love interests survive and the jerk dies first. Excellent. Yep. And that would be me in the puddle scenario. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> but by that argument, only Jay and Leslie would survive. That's they true. were the only ones in love. That's true. And they did survive. They had beautiful children. And I'm dead. I'm dead in a puddle somewhere <laughs> face down. All right, Dorothea. That is our podcast. The problems with prequels. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> you like making that sound. I do. I do it a lot. Yeah, you do it in real life. I know. <laughs> in real situations. <laughs> well, we were talking the other day and things that like cartoon characters would do when they're angry, like throw their fists up in the air. Yeah. I also do when I'm angry. Yeah. So yeah. I'm really a cartoon. <laughs> <laughs> in real life. Yeah. In real life. I've had very strange dreams. Like I, when I wanted to be an actor, I wanted to be the bit parts on crime shows yeah you wanted to be the corpse you I, said I wanted that to me once you're like <laughs> when, C- when csi came on you're like oh dad you know what job i would love and i'm like what and I'm like, i want to be the corpse and i'm like what and you're like well because the whole show's about her 
And then I wanted to be like the small suspects that aren't actually the bad guy, but they're just the comic relief. I've always wanted to be the bit parts in movies and oh, in... like Jar Jar Banks. No, but like if <laughs> go you... ahead, give give me your best Jar Jar. Nope, I'm not Try even it. I'm not even dignifying <laughs> that with a response right now. But I've always wanted to play those smaller characters. I love when actors are able to take a really small part and make it memorable. I just think that's fantastic. So I always wanted to do that. When I wanted to act, I didn't want to be like a celebrity or like an A-list movie star. I just wanted to be in the background. Or dead. (laughs) Or dead on the table. (laughs) And that's why I love you so much. Because it's always a surprise (laughs) what's going to come out of your mouth. All right, Dorothea. Another episode in the books. Excellent. Yeah, it's almost like we're getting good at this. Mm, well, I don't want to say. Yeah, yeah, I mean, just because that. we keep doing it doesn't mean we're doing it successfully. That's true. I will say we're getting efficient at doing it poorly. Excellent. Yeah. Well, I hope you guys have enjoyed this episode. If there's anything that you would like us to analyze or talk about, we would be happy to do so. So please comment in the comment section or send us an email at contactus at sunlightpress.com. Don't forget to rate us and review us. Do both on iTunes and let people know just how difficult it is to listen to us talk. And if your name is Steve, you are not welcome. So just peace out. (laughs) (laughs) And you would like to defend that name on this show called My Name Is Not Steve. Let us know. So have a good week, everyone. I will, Dorothea. Thank you so much. Oh, you're not everyone. Oh, that's true. All right. Well, everyone else. Everyone else. Aside from my father. (laughs) (laughs) See you guys. Bye. Bye.